0: Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Haunted History Chronicles. In today's episode we are going to be exploring stories of immurement, the ghosts of London Bridge haunting the American desert, a Guinness record holding female serial killer, the stone tape theory and objects between a rock and a hard place. If any of that is unfamiliar to you, or has you intrigued as to the connections between them, then stay tuned as today I'm going to be joined by some familiar guests and they're here to explore some of these grisly parts of history. I feel like there should be a drum roll to introduce our guests, as since they were last on the podcast, their exploration of some of the haunted history and paranormal has only continued to take off, and they are now both published authors and have won a rather exciting award Hi, Gina. Hi, Victoria. It's so wonderful to have you back. Hello. Hi. (laughs) Welcome back, too. (laughs) Thank you. So, for anyone who needs a reminder, Gina and Victoria are from Haunted History BC and they've been on the show before, sharing some amazing history and paranormal adventures and stories to celebrate connections between England and Canada. If you haven't listened to those episodes, then make sure to take a listen to them. They're available on the podcast as well as on both of our websites, which I'll make sure to include the links to those pages in the website description. Now, Gina and Victoria are incredibly dedicated at what they do and were recognized a few months ago and received a really special award. I'm excited to hear about it, ladies.
1: Aha, yes, uh, this is Victoria. Yes, this year we were recipients of the History Hero Award. Um, it was uh, given out each year by the Community Heritage Commission in recognition of special initiatives and accomplishments and projects that have advanced heritage conservation and awareness in the community. Um, we specifically uh, researched a cemetery in our city, the Wanak Cemetery, Uh, We have the write-up posted on our website, and we also referenced it several times on various podcasts. The history is so rich, and yet the history itself is, um, the cemetery itself is physically small in size and located in a beaten path and so unsuspecting. So uh, being recipients of this award was super exciting. Uh, someone nominated us within the community, so we we actually received the news, and we were totally taken by surprise and excited by it.
2: Oh yeah, it was right after the New Year, so it was quite mm-hmm. quite a nice uh, surprise to get that email. Exactly. We thought, oh my goodness! So yes, it was very we're very honored to to have it's gotten in, that. It's so. lovely that
0: it's lovely that, like you said, that came from somebody within the community recognizing what it is that you you know you were doing and, and appreciating yeah. what you were doing.
2: That's you know, that's and a nice nod. And I think too, when you have the name like, you know, Haunted History BC, and we focus on the paranormal too, like you never know if that's, you know, if like the heritage sector will be accepting of that. So we were kind of surprised that, um, you know, we do put a lot of history into our, um, the information that we put out, but we also didn't know how it would go over if it's, you know, ghost stories and talking about the paranormal, but apparently, um, you know, the blend, you know, was okay and Uh, you know it was it it didn't deter anything so the judges or whoever you know were looking at it um, it felt really validating like for the for the paranormal world too so not just the historical so we were very very excited to kind of be able to blend those two together and kind of cross over into the heritage side so
0: well huge congratulations it went to two very deserving people thank you and further congratulations on your piece in the feminine macabre, which is coming out in the second
2: journal, isn't it?
0: Shortly. Oh yes. (laughs) We are
2: so excited about that one. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. Our piece is called, um, uh, supernatural British Columbia, Mm -hmm. where we're highlighting actually, um, all over BC, a lot of places, but specifically we focused on Vancouver and Victoria because that's local places that we've actually been. So, and, um, sharing a little bit of our experiences, but a lot of history as well. And, Mm uh, you know paranormal uh, events and also our original photography will be in there so the article features several of the places we visited and so that will be really really exciting we were thrilled when we got that email that was like beyond (laughs) exciting too so
0: well as of recording it's not published yet but I'm sure in the next week or two we're going to be hearing news about when it's going to be available Yes, um, yes.
2: Oh, I know all the hype is out there. This is the exciting part. We have to enjoy this too. So, (laughs) you know, just the anticipation. Absolutely.
0: And, And, you know, the first book was just an amazing, you know, journal of collections of stories and articles and research and so many different things from so many different people showing the variety of things that are happening in the field. So if anyone hasn't already purchased that first volume and are looking for something new and exciting and fresh, then buying the first, buying the second is something that I would highly recommend and you can get them from Amanda Woomer's website. As well as Amazon and various other places, I'm sure. So yeah, and,
2: and shortly it'll be available on our website too because we did order author copies as well. Amanda was kind enough to, um, uh, we ordered fifty author copies, and we're going to have author copies of the other ones as well. So we will put them on the website for for sale as well. So when the time comes, we will also let people know um, in in Canada where they can you know order from us too, if it's for sure, yeah. you know shipping wise. But absolutely. yes, very very exciting.
0: Well, as I say, big congratulations again just
1: Thank you. to people
0: who really deserve it and to have their voice heard, you know. I can't wait to read it. So, we have a very exciting topic for this podcast, I think. So, for anyone still wondering what it is that I was talking about at the opening of this episode, what is immurement?
2: Yes. Um so this is kind of something that was very creepy when we came across it. Um So the history of inurement goes back um, many, many centuries and was the practice of actually walling people up inside of buildings. Um, It was building small rooms or coffin type structures um, where they were morbidly left to die and gradually starve and dehydrate. So it was quite grim and very horrifying. So in the past, like when we've done research, we've heard of people occasionally um, in cases of construction going on, like where it's a bigger building. We've heard that workers were sometimes accidentally walled up inside buildings, but it's awful to think that this sort of thing actually happened intentionally. So from time to time, um, skeletal remains have been found behind walls and in hidden rooms of very old structures. Um, On several occasions, there's evidence that there was kind of a brutal form of punishment for criminals, but um, not in all cases. Uh, I was really, really surprised to hear that... um, and read that there were rare cases of immurements that
1: were uh, sacrificial practices to Mm -hmm. consecrate a newly built building. That's right, Gina, yes. Actually, there was um, an interesting example. A Serbian uh, tradition was that a construction project couldn't move forward until one of the wives of the new owners of a building was immured into the foundation. Yikes. And there were also, Hungarians had, they had a similar practice of immuring a woman into a newly built structure. Um, Also, the ancient Inca sacrificed young girls inside a waterless cistern as a form of sacrifice to the gods. Oh, God, can you imagine, like, if you were, like, the wife of the person who was, like, on this construction project,
2: like, everybody would be waiting to see, like, oh who gets to be the lucky one yeah. rather
1: morbid rather morbid it would oh, be
2: divorce, let's <laughs> yeah. just be really honest oh my gosh oh, no thank your you to be out of work but like I absolutely don't know, it's
1: new building up be kind of a little bit nervous and maybe packing my bags absolutely. i don't know absolutely well you know even the ancient egyptians would also entomb deceased kings and queens with those who served them in life so they could accompany them on their journey into the afterlife mm. yeah
0: some of my favorite history is egyptian history and For anyone as fascinated as I am, then you might be interested to know that archeologists also discovered with King Tutankhamun what many historians believe are the mummified remains of his children that were placed in his burial chamber so that they would be with him in the afterlife. Oh my. Um, Yeah, so that obviously that they would be there, you know, anything else that was placed in the room that, you know, they felt that he would need with him. So if you had a Um, prominent
2: relative, you hope that they don't die too soon because you might have to go with them. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> but they have also only just recently started excavating a newly discovered chamber near the Valley of the Kings, where they found almost every animal of the area mummified like a version of Noah's Ark. Wow. So you could see lion cubs and alligators, even animals that are now extinct, that are no longer alive. They found oh, fascinating. Yeah. So none of that is obviously an example of ammurement because they were not alive when entombed, but... Just further examples of the, you know, the wonderful, rich tapestry of beliefs and practices around death and the afterlife that the Egyptians and other cultures had. Mm. So, were there examples of immurement in the Roman Empire?
2: Oh yeah, in the Roman Empire, there were um, the Vestal Virgins. So, um, they often faced immurement as punishment when they were found guilty of breaking their chastity vows. So, um, in Mongolia too, coffin-like structures were built to wall up a person's body. But then their head would be left sticking out to make their oh. fate like even more horrible so they were contained in this box but your head would be sticking out so oh
0: that's really quite morbid
2: <laughs> yes I, very I would very imagine. and what a horrible way to die because it would take you a while right and yeah then you were for, and usually you were kind of in the public somewhere so people could see you and there would be probably insects and birds and like I, a spectacle I don't know.
0: and that would be absolutely, absolutely horrifying <laughs> yes yeah, the not, heat not something that I would prefer. Mm-hmm. No, I just can't imagine it.
2: Oh yeah, and then um, there was also um, Edward, Edward Granville Brown and he was a British writer and historian. He, he was around during the early 1900s and he studied these areas um, in Iran and Persia and he was kind of noting that um, there was many gloomy reminders of uh, robbers and other things, um, other people who suffered the horrible form of death too. So not only were a few walled up alive in pillars or mortar left there to perish miserably, so Ah, uh, the remains of these living tombs are still there and remain to be seen. So, kind of a haunting image. You can kind of see them standing like pillars and just picturing and knowing that people were bricked up inside. So, very creepy. Very much so. Very. And so the punishment, yeah. And the punishment was one thing, but then there were cases of nuns. This, this we didn't know. This was kind mm-hmm. of surprising. So, yeah. there was cases of nuns or other religious people who would volunteer to sacrifice themselves to be bricked up Mm -hmm. in a new building and then the whole reason behind that was just to ward off any bad luck or bad energy so oftentimes they were um, unfortunately accompanied by a young child too so uh, sometimes this was an orphan and they would be walled up uh, in a corner of the building so not not very pleasant
1: now in these cases they were left in there with a with just little bit of food right? yes yes in which they were. would prolong their existence but eventually the food would run out and they would meet their inevitable demise is that solid? yes yeah that's a research we were quite intrigued by that yeah. so you kind of know that you're going to die but you're trying to like
2: sustain your life as long as you possibly mm. can and then there would come a day where your food and water would be there no longer and you just kind of Wait to wither away so hard to believe that people in these cases would go willingly and um not sure how willing the child was or if they even understood mm-hmm. exactly what was happening to them so yeah and even yeah, more sinister it, mm, definitely. It, gets, it, it gets even creepier so there are reports <laughs> that um, people were saw, sometimes walled up in cases of murder so that their bodies would be concealed and never found so you know oh, they would be behind wow. you know they would be sort of killed that way like they would just be walled up and you'd be just kind of left to die and you know the murderer would hope that nobody discovered you back there so very (laughs) very gruesome Mm -hmm.
0: and I have a an interesting and very real example of something similar to that and Mm -hmm. that's the story of Countess Elizabeth Bathory who was a woman considered to be one of the most prolific and sadistic serial killers in all recorded history which is quite a title (laughs) You know, yes. to have that for that to be what you're known for, the most yeah. sadistic in all of history. Um, yeah, so I would mention that if you're listening with little ears listening nearby at this point to maybe headphones on at this point, um, because it is rather gruesome, some of the things that she did. So Elizabeth was born in 1860 to a distinguished noble family that predominantly controlled Transylvania. Mm. Um, her family included kings, cardinals, knights. Judges, you know, her uncle was even the king of Poland, for example. So, very affluent, very well to do, very prominent within this area. And Elizabeth was the epitome of someone who grew up with privilege. She also had a very interesting education and and upbringing. You know, it was reported that an uncle instructed her into Satanism. You know, an aunt introduced her to sadomasochism as a young child. Oh, so. very unusual family should we say yeah <laughs> a little
2: bit warped there some dysfunction <laughs> happening there
0: and elizabeth herself suffered from seizures you know likely caused by epilepsy and treatments back then involved rubbing blood from a non-epileptic onto the lips of the person whilst they were seizing to try and oh, help them to stop the seizure and this is what many be you know many people have believed foreshadowed her obsession later with blood Um, And some of the things that she did to the people that she would torture, kidnap and do all the other things that she was doing to them. So pretty, pretty warped things that were happening in her early childhood. Now, she was married at 15 and her husband reportedly built a torture chamber as a gift
1: Oh geez. <laughs> yeah. That is very peculiar. <laughs> oh <Yeah>. man.
0: <laughs> and they, you know, apparently they would enjoy doing things together, you know, such as jamming pins and needles, for example, under the fingernails of the, the servant girls. They would tie people down and smear them with honey, leaving them to be attacked by bees and ants and other insects. We know that her has participated in some of these, but we can also to you know deduce that in all likelihood it helped to restrain some of her more sadistic cruelties and tendencies because when he died sometime in 1603 or 1604, she became truly out of control in terms of what she was doing and hence her being known as she is today. So at the point of his death, with the help of her former nurse and three others from her household, they basically began firstly torturing and killing local peasants usually between the ages of 10 and 14, to oh, torture them and kill them. And Elizabeth was believed to be drinking their blood in order to try and preserve her youth and her beauty. Oh, that's gruesome. Um, yeah, very much so. And witnesses and survivors of her torture explained that in their accountings that they saw her stabbing victims, biting their breasts, hands, faces and arms and literally consuming chunks of their flesh. Oh. Um, She would put needles into their lips, she would cut them with scissors, she would burn them with red-hot iron, coins, keys, whatever, that they had to hand, basically. And some were beaten to death, and others were slowly starved.
2: Oh, that's just hideous.
0: Very. And obviously, because her family were headed by local government, she was obviously able to get away with it. You know, her crimes were being cried about all over. And being reported all over but people were just turning a blind eye because obviously most of her victims were from the lower classes Mm. and you know for years these rumors were rife and they even went so far as to the court in Vienna and sadly it wasn't until she began finding victims from among other noble families that the king finally intervened in Uh 1610. So in that year 1610 Elizabeth was investigated and her accomplices were arrested and in January 1611 her accomplices were put on trial for 80 confirmed murders. Wow. Now I say confirmed because that figure could be as high as 650. Oh wow. Yeah hence the most prolific sadistic most people murdered title in the Guinness World Book of Records because 80 is high enough but 650 is just Mm -hmm. astronomical Um, and during that trial itself 300 witnesses and survivors provided the testimony as well as evidence that was introduced detailing the physical evidence discovered at the time of the investigation such as Mm. the bodies that were mutilated that were found um, those that were found dead dying um, and in various states of torture. Um, Now, because of Elizabeth's family and her standing in society, obviously it would have been a huge embarrassment for her to be put on a trial. And so she avoided that. And she also avoided execution as per what happened to those that helped her to do these things. And instead, Elizabeth was kept and held in solitary confinement in a castle, where the windows were walled up. And so she only had slits for air and food, etc. And she survived in that way for three years oh, before wow. her death in 1614. And it was a very quiet affair. Apparently, she reported to her bodyguard that her hands and feet were cold. And she was told to lie down and rest as it was probably nothing. And she just didn't wake up. Oh, wow. cast..
2: Yeah. Wow.
0: Now, her reputation is what sparked um the story of dracula by bram stoker many think um so we can all hope that nobody replaces her in the guinness world record books with those kind of figures for murders
1: oh yeah um, definitely no, certainly not yes yeah. so her
0: emurement is an interesting one because was it a punishment or to hide her away is a is an interesting question still a rather dark end to a woman whose life was truly truly awful in terms of the sadistic acts that she carried out on so many different people
2: and i guess in a way her victims were sort of walled up too because they were in this torture chamber so i'm sure many of them of just died like right there right so i don't know you, just, you have to wonder what she did with all the with all the remains if there were that many people and there are probably Absolutely. a whole lot more yeah like probably you probably then, were yes. digging in places to kind of you know cover it up on the property because it's not like you'll you know you're g- going to just take a dead body like into the woods if there's if there's that many. Right. So, yeah, yeah, no, that is actually terrifying. Very chilling, very chilling mm. story. So I'm
0: kind of curious as to what sparked your interest in this topic, given, you know, some parts, parts of it are really obviously very grisly and, you know, terrible to think about. What
2: what sparked it for you? Well, initially, um Yes, a morbid topic, but it usually comes, as you know, when you're researching history, you sort of are researching one particular thing, and then it sort of leads you down a bit of a rabbit hole. So we were first drawn, I guess, to the topic of immurement because of the London Bridge. Um, So we go from bricks to more bricks. (laughs) And... uh, so many works of literature and also films have immurement as a subject. So mm-hmm. we're not
1: the only ones intrigued by the subject. So, yeah, that's right. Like, for example, in The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, a character named Joe gets walled up in a cave.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: I think in Oscar Wilde's Canterville Ghost, immurement is an underlying theme. Mm-hmm. And also Edgar Allan Poe's The Pin and Pendulum deals with the subject matter as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So now the story of, um, London the
2: original London Bridge is an interesting one so we say original because the current London Bridge in England is actually a newer version Um, the original bridge um, actually now resides in Lake Havasu Arizona so it kind of intrigued us as to how this English bridge came to be in an American desert (laughs) oh wow Yeah, because the original London Bridge was built in about the 1830s and it spanned um, the River Thames um, in London England and so Once it began to deteriorate and couldn't accommodate the weight of cars anymore, because back in the day it was horse and buggy, so the bridge was fine for that. But um, now that cars were uh, making an appearance, it was decided that a new bridge needed to be built. And then, of all things, the original uh, was auctioned off. That's how they decided to get rid of it. It was going to go to the highest bidder. (laughs) And here is where... um, a wealthy businessman named Robert P. McCullough enters the picture. He was a wealthy gentleman who lived in the United States, and he oddly purchased the bridge literally brick by brick.
0: <laughs> wow!
2: So the original bridge um, was dismantled in 1967. So it's not that like far back in history. So, and it was relocated to Arizona, and so and not a simple thing either. So the bricks were granite and very heavy, but it, he insisted on having them numbered and transported to America so he could reconstruct it almost exactly. But of course it was reinforced structurally to be safe for modern day traffic and vehicles. So the bridge is still there, it's used. And then um, Mr. McCullough established a new, um, newly planned city and the bridge was reconstructed to um, connect an island to the Colorado River with the shores of Lake Havasu. So the bridge is actually um, at this time, once it's all transported, it was completed in 1971. And there was a big ceremony which took place um, uh, on October 10th of that year. So to kind of open it up. And as much as the bridge has a very rich and fascinating history, some of the stories which surround it um, lean towards the disturbing and eerie. So the bridge is known for its paranormal activity, which was kind of something that we were very intrigued by. And it started with the first day of the bridge's um, commem- commemoration ceremony. So the day they are actually opening it. October 10th, um, a woman at the ceremony claimed to have seen four men dressed in old-fashioned clothes wandering about. And she just assumed that they were part of the festivities, like they were just sort of you know, actors or somebody that's there to do the opening ceremonies. And she glanced away for like a split second and looked back, only to find that the spectral images had vanished kind of right before her eyes. So yeah, very very interesting. Um, and then several individuals near the bridge have also claimed to have heard blood-curdling screams, um, just all kinds of ghostly activity. So, uh, you know, you kind of have to wonder, is this the tormented voice of like 19th century English ghosts? Or, you know, numerous drivers have also said that they have seen dark, ominous figures floating above the bridge. And a woman in black has been spotted as well. So. A lot of people think that these could be spirits of the people who were walled up within the walls of the bridge and that the skeletal remains were found and transported, uh, the skeletal remains were found and transported within the original masonry during the trip across the pond. So basically the ghosts kind of went with it and were relocated. Wow. <laughs>
0: wow.
2: And, yeah. And, um, and the reason for them kind of being there, they said that people... Um, Like some of the poor people lived under the bridge and were kind of, you know, at the time when it was in London. And so a lot of them, for some reason, when they walled things up, um, just remained there because they were poor and forgotten. And, you know, so a lot of them were just thought to be just sort of victims of, you know, people forgetting about them and everything. So a decade later, after the other supernatural associations began to be connected with the bridge, um, there was a plot of a movie theme, a, A Bridge Across Time. And the spirit um, or energy of Jack the Ripper is somehow transported to Arizona within a stone within a stone of the London Bridge. So in this movie, they kind of, you know, make up that, you know, one of these stones kind of contained kind of his spirit. Oh, and it was eerie. brought um, to the United States. And then it results in a big murder spree. So that's a little far-fetched. But you can tell that the thought is there. So yeah. even though it's fictional, um It's very much taken from the idea of uh, the stone tape theory. Mm -hmm. So, in the paranormal, we talk a lot about stone tape theory and uh, what exactly is it. So, the stone tape theory is the speculation that ghosts and hauntings are like a tape recording and that the mental impressions and energies and emotions that can be projected um, can be projected and recorded onto rocks and certain structures or objects. So, Basically, it's so-called recordings, and they can be replayed under certain conditions, like over and over again. So sometimes you might see an apparition or, you know, something enacting a certain series of events, but it's just kind of a replay. It's not really like... So you're not being haunted, necessarily. It's the area. It's the the area, yeah, and the energy that sort of stays Ah. repeating itself, and it says that the soul or the spirit is like an electromagnetic compression that can replay itself over and over so not like an intelligent haunting where there's like a spirit you can interact with but ones that you can kind of see constantly replaying past events
0: yeah and the stone tape theories as you say it's very well known within the paranormal field I would imagine and you know like myself I think most have at some point or other found the theory to be an appealing explanation Um, it's certainly a wider topic I think for a future podcast because there's a lot Often very misunderstood about it. Oh yes. Um, and there's lots of other theories to counter some of what people think when they're thinking about the Stone Tape theory. So it's, I think it's one to look for in a future podcast. You know, spoilers. <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah. Spoilers of another of another episode. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm curious to hear more about the theory in relation to London Bridge.
2: Yeah, and is this what people are reporting at London Bridge? I mean, so many people. Uh, For many many believe that the hauntings are not anything to do with modern day and that they're just spirits of the people who were buried within the walls or had some association with the remains being near the bridge. So in the late 1800s, the London Bridge was known to have the very poor, like I said, residing on one side, while the wealthier people uh, resided on the other side. And um, the poor folks um, very often could not afford proper burials. So it's said that under... One of the sides of the bridge, um, the the remains and bones of many of the poor, unfortunate souls were simply stacked under one section of the bridge. And their um, cadavers were left there or they were used um, for hospitals for studies. So maybe their energies were absorbed by the rocks and now they still linger near the bridge in uh, eternal unrest. I mean, they were just left there to kind of and forgotten about. So that's awful. Maybe they...
0: You also have to kind of wonder if that would also um relate to any accidents on the water so in the Thames itself you know some kind of accident tragedy on a bo- on a on board a boat um you know bearing in mind you had prison ships around certain times mm-hmm. that were kind of moored in the water and we know that those were kind of riddled with illness and sickness, especially if there were outbreaks of particular illnesses that were just kind of traveling all across the country, Um, you know, these types of very cramped conditions on board ships were just,
1: oh, for
2: sure. Yeah, hotspots for it, really. And even now, yeah, even now the bridge um, experiences things on the water, like they say, people who are boating around there kind of experience weird things. Um, Paranormal investigators have gone to the location to investigate and things like equipment fail, and they see like shadow people from you know, from the water, they see them kind of, you know, near the bridge and things like that. So there are some interesting things that happen also Mm -hmm. under and around the bridge as it currently sits. So I don't know, very fascinating to explore.
0: Yeah, very much so. So um, in kind of terms of your other research, what other things did you discover about, you know, buildings and structures and so on?
1: Yes, well, which also brings us to objects that have been immured. Uh, So, in all this research, we discovered that seemingly many buildings and structures carry history within their walls, ceilings, floor and foundations. We will end on a slightly lighter note though. Um, (laughs) Here we go. So, the tradition of, of walling up objects and trinkets inside walls and buildings, so we'll touch on that a little bit. Um, In our research, we've discovered that there is actually a most interesting belief that if one puts foreign coins under a floor slab, this will bring wisdom from around the world into the home. Oh, nice. Yeah. And even in the history of Freemasonry traces its origins to rituals of concealment of secrets in their buildings or objects were often hidden away in the walls to bring inhabitants of the home good luck. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. So not all morbid. Not no. all morbid, no. <laughs> this is actually pretty good. Positive. Yeah, um, we can now sleep at night. <laughs> yes, exactly. But here we get a little bit kind of iffy. This is kind of a little strange one here. Um, in Ireland, it was common to bury a, a horse skull in the floor under the hearth. And this was a Celtic tradition that goes back centuries. And in England in Ireland and many regions, it was customary to bury a cat that had died or have been mummified. Um, And it was also basically um, immured in the walls of a house to ward off evil or malicious spirits and energy. So in the 17th and 18th century buildings were mummified, pardon me, in the 17th and 18th century buildings, mummified cats often topple out from between the walls if there is any repairs that are being worked on. Oh my. <laughs> so oftentimes people would start on a little, I guess, renovation project and mm-hmm. out pops Kitty. Oh my. <laughs> so-, <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so Hello Kitty. <laughs> It's a whole new spin on that kind of slogan, doesn't it? Well, you hear about sometimes
2: cats coming with the house, but I guess in this case it's (laughs) a little bit different. It's a mummified cat. Definitely.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So it was pretty interesting, and in the Pendle area, there was a cat found in the wall of an ancient cottage, too. And it was thought to be the location of a famous witch coven, where in 1612, 11 men and one woman were accused and hanged for witchcraft
0: yeah Mm -hmm. i talked about on the podcast about yes it was it was one of the kind of the key indicators that led archaeologists to believe it belonged to this particular family um but yeah it was quite common within that area to to kind of do that to ward off evil given i suppose the amount of stories and trials that took place within that very tiny small
1: Mm -hmm. area it's no
0: surprise really with everything that was was happening in the stories that were everywhere so very common indeed
1: Mm -hmm. yes for sure well even for us like when we were researching this we also found it was a very common practice for newly built homes um, where construction crews routinely would sign wall framing and it was then covered up and the signatures were behind this wall and were often found when the house was being remodeled
2: Oh, nice. Yeah,
1: and even occasionally crews will, will leave a capsule inside the house for future generations to find, usually in the walls or ceilings, so then it can be discovered about 50 to 100 years later. Oh, cool, a time capsule. Oh, that would yeah. be fun. Yeah, that would be. That would yeah. be interesting. Provided that the capsule holds some pretty just normal things. The regular things, yes, yes, yes exactly. I'm sure. <laughs> but Gina, you actually have a story to share about your current home.
2: Yes, um, that was very interesting. So when we moved into our current place where I live at the moment, um, we would hear all kinds of strange noises, like beginning from the very first night, we heard like a really huge bang. I mean, it was like a bang that woke us up. And we thought, oh, boxes must have fallen over or something. So we went and checked, not anything was out of place. And of course, being attracted to the paranormal, our first joke is always, oh, it's ghosts, you know, (laughs)
1: exactly. But.
2: Yeah, but um, so one day, as we're doing a little bit of renovation in the kitchen, we were painting and doing a variety of things. So one day, I'm sitting there kind of admiring my paint job. And I'm looking at the cupboards and sipping on some water. And all of a sudden, like, you know, I'm I'm looking and I heard this big bang. And I thought, well, what the heck is that? (laughs) So we couldn't find anything. And so later on, I was kind of passing through the kitchen again and looking, once again, kind of admiring everything. I thought, oh, I see some Remnants of like orange or something on one of the cupboards. And I thought, what the heck is that? And so I kind of looked closer and it was like food spatter. And I thought, <laughs> holy smokes, I know I've kind of cooked a few times in here, but I just painted this newly, right? So then I'm kind of looking at the cupboard and I um, creaked the um, cupboard open a bit. And on the inside was this jar of soup that just oh, exploded no. all over the place. And it was butternut squash carrot soup. So it was orange <laughs> and it was everywhere. So somehow a little bit of it got out. So I thought, oh, my goodness, it's like 11 o'clock at night. I'm cleaning cleaning. And as my husband and I are cleaning, we had to take everything out of there. And I kind of see behind the cracks of the where the cupboard meets the walls is there is a little bit of a gap. And there was still some, you know, soup and some gunk. So I thought with a, mm-hmm. with a butter knife, I'm going to reach in behind with a, <laughs> a paper towel to kind of, you know, try to get some of it out so it doesn't smell or whatever. But all of a sudden, when I pulled the paper towel out, out comes this really old money
1: it was like from the
2: 1950s and you know it wasn't a lot but it was old Canadian money that was wow. it's not in circulation anymore and we found a few bills and then the next day my husband said okay well I'm gonna go back there with a coat hanger I was at work <laughs> so he found like another ten dollar bill and a twenty dollar bill so somebody put money behind there and Wow. And who knows? It was maybe like hundred and one dollars or something.
1: Collectors' items, right? Like now they, they yeah, are, they but are. yeah.
2: But and this building wasn't built till like the nineteen um, ninety-two or so. So, whoever had this money for the fifties probably was an older person who was saving it for something. But it was behind this cupboard, and we had already done the majority of the, um, the renovation. So it's not like we could look to see what else was there. But yeah. <laughs> this is this is what we found, and why the jar exploded, I can't explain. Was it somebody? showing me that there was something back there. That's what I'd like to think because it was so random that this glass jar just pops a lid. I mean, it literally just popped the lid and nothing else. It didn't like break or, you know, and why would it do that? I have no idea. But so not to cause anybody out there any nightmares, but, uh, you know, what do you think you'd find if you were able to see behind the walls of your own house and, or where you work, you know, if those walls could talk. Um, we just imagine the kinds of stories that they would tell.
0: Yeah, stories indeed. And you know, if anybody has stories like that, then please, as always, we would love to hear them. Um, You can do that in all the usual ways via the website and various social media pages for the podcast. And if you aren't following Gina and Victoria already, then I really do recommend checking out their pages and keeping updated on their many adventures too. Um, Gina, Victoria, thank you so much for joining me again today to have a chat. It has been truly a fascinating journey exploring the topic today. Thank you so much.
1: Yes, thank you for having us. Thank you, Michelle. It's wonderful being back. To everybody out there listening to uh, Sleep Well.
0: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Sleep well. (laughs) Or try to. (laughs) Bye, everyone. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Like this podcast then there are a number of things that you can do come along and follow haunted history chronicles on facebook twitter and instagram the links are below in the description to this podcast share news of the podcast with friends family who may be interested you can also come along and join us on our new website which has a plethora of other features including information on our episodes guests and a blog which includes guest writers You can support the podcast further by leaving us a review or taking a look at our Patreon page and in the process gain access to some extra goodies. Your support and encouragement is always invaluable. Thank you so very much, everyone.